The scripture reading for today is Colossians 3, 12 through 17. I will be reading from the Common English Bible Version. Therefore, as God's choice, holy and loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Be tolerant with each other, and if someone has a complaint against anyone, forgive each other. As the Lord forgave you, so also forgive each other. And over all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. The peace of Christ must control your hearts, a peace into which you were called in one body, and be thankful people. The word of Christ must live in you richly. Teach and warn each other with all wisdom by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Whatever you do, whether in speech or action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Beautiful sunny day we've got today. Thanks for being here. Uh, we're going to get into the text today, but one of the things I got to do, uh, I think it was, this, it was this summer, is I got to tour the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Does anybody know where that is here in Seattle? Uh, Jim Lorenzen was kind enough to give me a tour along with a couple other people, Paul and Delia Over, who some of you may know. And we, we toured um, the foundation building and the, and the grounds and everything that was going on there. And they're doing a lot of work around the world uh, to solve health problems. But as we're walking through the building, I stumbled across this poster on the wall in the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And you can't really read it, but I, uh, it may, it's the BRAVING acronym, uh, B-R-A-V-I-N-G. B stands for boundaries, R for reliability, A for accountability, V for vault, like keep stuff to yourself, integrity, I, integrity, N, non-judgment, and then generosity was the last one. And the one that stuck out to me was the one on generosity. And I later learned that this is not new. This is actually from Brene Brown in her book, uh, uh, Braving the Wilderness. And this is an acronym, I think, that she's been talking about. And so, but I, the one I want to cue in on today, we're not going to go through all those today, although that would make a great sermon, but G, generosity. Here's the definition of generosity. You extend the most generous interpretation possible to the intentions, words, and actions of others. I think about that. A lot of times we think of generosity as giving somebody something. Well, what we are giving a person here is our patience, our forgiveness, our forbearance, our long-suffering that's talked about here in the text. This is a text about being generous in, in spirit, right? This is a text about how do we become generous in our spirits towards one another and giving of ourselves in a way that we're assuming the best in people rather than the worst in people, right? And I think what Paul outlines here in this letter to, to, to the church in Colossae is this idea of having this generous Spirit, having this thankful spirit that we're to offer one another. And so it's not just about giving things, but how are we giving ourselves to one another? How are we relating to one another? And so I thought this was a great definition of how to be generous of spirit. So I'm going to actually jump into the text today, and we're going to work through the text today. 
a little bit more of an expository style, but I want to cue in just on verses 15, 16, and 17 today. We've probably heard messages, and I think I've preached a message here about being clothed with Christ and talking about the clothing and putting on love and those things, but let's jump actually to verse 15 and where it talks about the peace of Christ. It says, the peace of Christ must control your hearts, a peace into which you were called in one body, and be thankful people. Now, let me ask a question. Have you ever seen a bad call in sports? <laughs> like you, any sport, like if you watch any sport, no matter what it is, have you ever seen a referee or umpire make a bad call? Everybody's seen that? Oh, they, so they make bad calls in, in sports, right? I looked this up and I found, I looked up, what are the, like, the top, you know, they've got the top seven, the top, so the top ten worst calls in sports history. One of them involves the Seahawks from a few years ago. There's been many of these, right? You know, every game there's a bad call for the Seahawks. But evidently, uh, the Seahawks were playing Green Bay in 2012. Sorry, I don't have a clip of this for you guys. I know you're like, oh, there's going to be a clip. No, <clears throat> the video was too long. So anyway, so what's happening Clock's running out, Wilson's in the pocket, throws a Hail Mary into the end zone, right? Tate and Jennings are go up for the catch in the end zone, and they both come down with the ball in the end zone. They both have possession, it appears to have possession of the football. The ref calls it a touchdown. Seattle wins the game by a touchdown. Turns out it was a bad call. But who cares, because we're Seahawks fans, right? So who cares, right? <laughs> But really, uh, the, there should have been a penalty called on Green Bay, and the call called back, and it had been a no-touchdown, no right? So, and it, very possible Green Bay would have won the game. That's considered one of the top 10 worst calls in football history. So we all know what bad calls look like, except for that one. That was a good call. Um, <laughs> but, you know, this, when, when we look at this word in the verse, let the peace of Christ, what does it say? Control control your hearts. Another way to say that is umpire. Let the peace of Christ umpire your hearts. Let the peace of Christ make the call in your life. What would that look like? What would it look like if I let the peace of Christ make the call in any situation in my life? What if the peace of Christ was the referee in my relationships with other people? What if the peace of Christ was the referee in my spirit, giving me a spirit of generosity and assuming the best rather than the worst in others, right? What does that look like? So I borrowed an illustration from an, uh, about having Christ at the center of your life, and I came up with this same illustration, but I put all the different emotions that we have, because when it talks about your heart, it's talking about the, the seat of your emotions. This is what Paul's talking about, the seat of your emotions. And who's in the power seat? Who's in the control seat? Who's in the judgment seat? Which emotion is in the judgment seat or the umpire chair in your heart? That's the question, right? And we have a, all different types of, of uh, things that we could put there. We have joy, confidence, fear, apathy, sadness, anger, worry, love. All these we could put in control of our hearts, I chose anger for this illustration because anger seems to be the opposite of the peace of Christ, right? So when we're angry, so think about this. When you and I are angry and we're letting anger control our hearts, what does it do to our spirit of generosity? 
What does it do to our relationship with other people? How do, how do we then react to relationships and situations when anger is the umpire? Right? See how this works now? If anger's umpiring all my responses, it's not going to go well. In fact, let me give you an illustration out of my own life because you guys don't give me any. Bad, you know, I need good stuff. You know, you guys got to confess more, right, is what I'm saying. Sorry. So here's a confession of mine. So I, and I'm sorry if I've shared this before. I, I can't always keep, I'm getting to the point where I can't keep track of all my stories anymore. Um, but I was out riding my bike. Have you noticed there's tension between cyclists and drivers in Seattle? Have you noticed that? And I am actually on both sides of this equation. I'm a, I'm a driver and sometimes I'm a cyclist. And I find that these two people, these group, people groups don't get along very well. And uh, so anyway, I was riding my bike one day, and I'm on the shoulder. There's a lane of traffic, and it's all backed up, you know, for quite a ways. And I'm on the shoulder, and there's a whole pretty wide shoulder. And so I'm on the shoulder riding my bike. I'm all the way over to the right on the shoulder, plenty of room between me and the cars. But somebody in the line of cars who didn't want to wait anymore for all the traffic decided to illegally cross the white line, get onto the shoulder, and shoot fast, speed up along the shoulder to pass all the traffic and then cut back into traffic. The problem was I was riding my bike as they did this and they came within inches of hitting me on my bike, right? So they actually threatened my life. So there's this little part of us, you know, that kicks in called the fight or flight system. I did not flee. (laughs) I cranked up my RPMs. I began to pedal harder, and I tracked them down. Because once they got back into traffic, they were stuck in traffic again, and I could catch them. (laughs) This was summer, by the way, so windows are down in cars. (laughs) And I get up beside them on my bike, and I let them have it. You know you almost killed me. You need to watch where you're going. I'm yelling at this person, right? And... I rode away, and for like five seconds, I thought, good for you, Matt. (laughs) And then I remembered I was a pastor. (laughs) And, and, you know, I had some other thoughts about how I reacted and how I responded, right? Who was in the the chair right there? Who was umpiring? Who was making the call? Fear? Anger? right? Fear and anger were at work there, right? Were, were kicked in. And so that's who was umpiring that situation, right? Now, let's go back to our sports analogy, umpire analogy. Have you noticed NFL football, now they've got replay. You know, in, you know, you get to go and they'll say, well, we're going to take a timeout. We're going to review. Plays under review. And now not only do they review it there on the field, but they got to call up New York, right? They got to call to New York now, get New York's opinion. I mean, like all these steps where they're going through, right? And then what is the, what happens when the umpire, finally they figure all this out, right? And it, it's, it never goes the right way for the Seahawks anymore. But, you know, they, go, they come back on the field. And what's the first thing the umpire says when he, he or could be she, comes back on the field says, Upon further review, upon further review. So that's where I was on my bike that day. Upon further review, I could see that the peace of Christ was not ruling my heart. That the peace of Christ 
was not in the judgment chair, that the peace of Christ was not umpiring me in that situation, right? See how that works? Do you ever do that? Do you ever replay situations in your head, right? Upon, what you're doing is upon further review. You're reviewing the play. You're saying, did I? So here's the question we as Christians ask ourselves, who was umpiring? Who made the call? Did the peace of Christ make the call in that situation or not? Now, I'll never see that driver again. But here's the other thing. If I respond that way to someone I do know that I am in relationship with, how do I then respond upon further review? See, here's the thing. In that situation, I believe I was right in my, in my call, right? I had the right call, right? Because this person endangered my life. That was the right call. But I'm not sure that the peace of Christ was helping me make the call. Does that make sense? So there's two things going on. We have being right, and then we have being in relationship with other people. And a lot of times, sometimes we can be right, but how we make the call ruins the relationship, right? Or we can not make the call and maintain the relationship too. And so, but we never make the call either. And that can be detrimental as well. So we actually have to make the call and we have to remember that we're in relationship with this other person and how I make the call and how I relate to them. And do I, am I willing to forgive them as Christ forgave me, these types of things. So that's a spirit of generosity in making the call, right? So sometimes I think we need to say, upon further review. And sometimes it's appropriate for us, upon further review, to go back and say, you know, I was right, but I didn't handle that in the right way. The point I was trying to make was correct, or I was in the right position, but the way I communicated it was not right, and it didn't help our relationship. So what would it look like for the peace of Christ to rule? What would it look like for the peace of Christ to be in the seat? Let's go to that next diagram. The next diagram. There we go. Where the peace of Christ is in the chair. Where the peace of Christ is umpiring. And what happens, I think, what happens when the peace of Christ is in the chair, what happens is resentment, anger, worry, sadness, fear, shame, all those things are still there, but they become submitted to the peace of Christ, right? It's not that we don't have those emotions. It's not that we don't continue to have them, but now the peace of Christ is ruling. Now the peace of Christ is in control. And as a Christian, we have to work to get the peace of Christ back to, into the judgment seat of our heart. We need to work to get the peace of Christ back into the center of our lives so that love and joy and gratitude and confidence can be a part of that rather than the fear and the worry and the anger and the bitterness and all those other things that can take over, take us over. And it helps us in our relationship with one another because sometimes it's appropriate for us to apologize and apologize for not maybe what we, not the, the, the truth that we spoke, but the way that we spoke our truth, right? The anger in which we did it, or the way in which we did it, or the things that may have been said along with that, that were hurtful or harmful to that person that we are called to be in relationship with as a brother or sister in Christ, or as a part of our family, or as a neighbor. So these things begin to come in, and we need to review the call and say, what would it look like for the peace of Christ to be in control in this situation, right? So how do we, how do you do that? How do you get the anger out of the chair, right? And get peace into the chair, right? How, how do we do that? Well, Paul actually helps us here. Paul actually said, the last phrase of that verse was, be thankful, right? 
gratitude helps us to be at peace. When we're grateful, notice that when we're grateful, we actually begin to experience peace. When we're experiencing gratitude, we're also experiencing peace, contentment, right? So gratitude's a part of it. But then, how, what are we to be thankful for? And that's verse, the next verse, verse 16. The word of Christ must live in you richly, richly. Not like a little bit, not like sparsely, not like just to survive, richly, like lavishly. And the word here that may be spoken of by Paul is the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So what we're to do is to have the good news about the grace of Jesus Christ dwelling in us richly. How many people here have ever had a roommate? If you're in college, you've probably had a roommate. Uh, if you are married, you have a roommate. Or if you're living with someone else, maybe you have a, some other, maybe you have more than one roommate. You have all these other people in your life, and sometimes roommates are good, right? Sometimes roommates are tough. You know, just pray for me. I got a tough roommate, you know. I'm just kidding, <laughs> just kidding. But um, so just think, think about your roommate, right? And what do you do when you have a roommate? You see them every day right? You interact with them, hopefully, if you like them and they like you and everything's going well. You have interactions with your roommate. And that roommate could actually, you know, be a joy in your life and be someone who helps in your life, or they, that roommate could be something else, right? But think about this. That's what it's saying in the verse. Let the word of Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, be your roommate <laughs> so that you interact every day, <laughs> with the good news of Jesus Christ dwelling in your life, in your heart, daily, on a daily basis, interacting because we know that the good news of Jesus Christ will remind us of God's extravagant grace and love for us that then helps us put peace back in the chair. That helps get anger and other things out of the chair and helps replace it with peace and these other things that Paul's talking about in our lives. So we have to do that. And then Paul goes on and says in the next verse, or a part of, the, a part of actually 16 says, teach and warn each other with all wisdom by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So I just, you know, go around singing to everybody. That's what that says, right? You know, I just, we just, if Ed could just follow me around <laughs> on the piano and we could just sing to everybody. But I thought this was interesting that we're to teach and warn each other with worship. Do you see that? Teach and warn with worship. Singing songs, hymns, spiritual songs to one another. In fact, part of our core practice as a church is to teach one another to follow Jesus, to teach and to warn. These two things go together. I was thinking about this and this, what does this look like? What is teaching and warning and singing <laughs> How does this all go together? I don't know that I figured it out, but I figured out the teaching warning part. So I play basketball on Wednesday mornings. I, I'm a lot of sports analogies. My apologies to the non-sports fan. But I play basketball on Wednesday mornings, and there's a group of guys that come here 6.30 on Wednesday to play basketball, and I've been playing with this group of guys, and uh, it's very... It's a very good group of guys, positive attitudes. Everybody walks away. You know, there's, I've been in basketball situations where there's a lot of arguments and debates and everything. And one of the things I realized, though, as I've been playing 
with these guys is that we, we warn each other when there's a foul all the time, but we've never sat down and taught one another what we think the rules are. Do you know what I'm saying? So if you don't have an agreement, if you don't talk to each other about what the rules of the game are, but you're calling fouls, right, or calling out warning, because that's what a whistle is. A referee's whistle is a warning. Hey, you're out of bounds. You're, you went out of bounds here. You, did, you fouled somebody. Blow the whistle. Time out. We got to correct that, right? That's to, to warn somebody. But here's the problem. If you've never taught one another what the rules are, it becomes a problem, right? So there happens to be very friendly debates on the basketball court about what a foul is because we've never agreed to what a foul is or what's, out of, or what, what's this or what do you do in this situation or that situation. We've never talked about it because we're just guys coming together playing basketball assuming we all know the rules. The debate happens when the timeout happened, right? And so we get into these little friendly debates about whether the call was right or this was right, much like we do when we watch umpires make bad calls on sports, right? And many times it's because we don't know the rule, right? To teach people is to say, here are the boundaries. Here's, the, here's how, we, how, how, we, how we react and respond to each other as Christians, and we teach one another that. And then when we see that the peace of Christ is no longer ruling, in someone's life, we go, we blow the whistle. We say, hey, I get what you're saying, but I don't think the peace of Christ is at work here in your life. Let's get the peace of Christ back into the seat. Let's get forgiveness back into the judgment seat. Let's get all these compassion, love, kindness. Let's look, let the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, let's get that back into our lives. Let's call foul when we're letting anger or fear or resentment or these other things take over. And we need other people around us to remind us when we're out of bounds. To raise a flag, to blow a whistle, and say, hey, well, time out. We're out of bounds. Let's get back in bounds. Let's get back to peace. Let's get back to forgiveness. Let's get back to generosity of spirit here so that we can continue to be brothers and sisters in Christ and brothers and sisters in our families and our relationships. And so that's what that looks like, to teach and to warn. And then to sing, to sing. You know, as you look at this word for thanksgiving, it is a Greek word, eucharisteo, eucharisteo, which we get the word Eucharist from. If you've been in an Episcopal church, you might hear, have heard that word. We call it communion or the Lord's Supper, in other churches, but this is the Greek word for thanksgiving. And what I love about this Greek word is that in the middle of it is another Greek word, C-H-A-R-I-S, charis, charis, which means grace. So in the middle of thanksgiving is grace. We're to be singing grace to one another. Does that make sense? So as we teach and as we warn one another, as we relate to one another, we're actually supposed to be singing grace to one another. <laughs> that's what that means, to be singing grace. And that's what we do. And what happens, though, when we sing grace, when we are grateful, when we experience thanksgiving? What happens? Peace gets back at the center of our hearts. Peace gets put back on the chair because when we realize what God has done for us, how much God has loved us in Jesus Christ, then the peace of Christ comes back into rule in our lives. And that happens when we worship. 
When we come together and worship, it's like our hearts are being reset. Have you noticed that? If you come and you engage in worship and you participate in worship, as you, sing, you and I sing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs, have you noticed what happens to your heart when you turn to God, when you begin to worship God, when you begin to be grateful, when you give God your thanks, when you give God your spirit, when you become, what happens to your own spirit when you worship? What happens if you're, if you're engaging in it? What happens is the peace of Christ starts to come back in. Because if you've noticed that the world, what is, when you go out back into the world, what happens to your heart? What happens to it? When you get on your bicycle and ride through Seattle, what goes on in your heart? Right? What happens to you between Sundays? When you're not worship, if you're not worshiping every day in some capacity, what happens to us? Our hearts begin to get jumbled up again. The peace of Christ starts to go away. And all these other things start to come into, into the seat. And that's why Paul says, just keep singing grace. Just keep singing grace every day if you can. Worship God every day because it's so hard to keep the peace of Christ in the umpire chair. You know, there was a waitress, busy waitress at a diner. And she was busy with several customers. And a, and a young girl walked in, a little girl walked in and sat down at her countertop and she sat down politely and was patient, and the busy waitress was running around with customers and complaints. And so finally, she saw the little girl sitting there and had passed by her a few times already and said, okay, I guess I've got to deal with this. This is, you know, what's this going to be? She was frustrated already. She looked at the little girl, and she said, so what do you want? The little girl said, uh, well, how much for uh, ice cream sundae? And she said, well, with tax, it's $5. Little girl opened up her wallet, looked into it, looked back up at the waitress and said, well, what can I get for $4? And the waitress said, well, you can get a, a regular bowl of ice cream for $4 with tax, right? And the little girl said, well, I'll have the bowl of ice cream. So the waitress hurried off. She went to do some things for other customers, brought the little girl her ice cream, put it down on the counter, walked on to meet somebody else. And then the little girl ate her ice cream, got up, left the diner. She was busy cleaning up from other customers and collecting things and tips and everything. And so finally, as things died down, she came back to the empty bowl of ice cream and the spoon there on the counter. And next to the bowl of ice cream was a $1 bill, her tip. She realized at that moment that the little girl could have had the ice cream sundae. But she wanted to give her waitress a tip. She wanted to be generous and generous of spirit. And it convicted the waitress in that moment <laughs> to remember the sacrifices, the generous sacrifices of others in our lives. And what happens to our hearts when we do that? Gratitude, <laughs> peace, joy, thanksgiving. It resets our heart. And as we come to the table of the Lord today, the Eucharisteo of our church. Let's sing grace as we respond to God's grace in our lives. May it reset our hearts today. Let's pray together.